Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. That path does not allow for reinvention or pivoting or constructive criticism or anything. It really is just, this is the line. Don't veer outside of this path. And that's how you get it done. That's how you make a name for yourself. That's how you see success or find success, which I think you and I can now attest that that is absolutely bogus, right? You know, success for me has come from the mistakes that I've made, the -hmm. things that I've done where at the time I was just experimenting or, or I wondered like, you know, Hey, I wonder if this is possible. Let me see if I can do it. Fail five times, get it on the sixth time or 60th. And, you know, now all of a sudden there's something you can do that no one else can. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Gareth, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me, Srini. Yeah, so this is long overdue. You and I have been very, very good friends for a long time now. Um, funny enough, we've known each other for 20 years, but we only became really good friends in the last four or five years to the point where I was a, the best man at your wedding. And yep. I have gotten to see uh, a really, really interesting uh, progression and evolution with all the things that you have been up to and, and kind of where you landed today. But before we get there, uh, I want to start by asking, what did your parents do for a living and how did that end up shaping and influence the choices that you made throughout your life and your career? That's a great question. You know, my mom is or was, excuse me, a grade school teacher. She taught uh, kindergarten and for, for many years. Uh, she's now retired. And my dad, who is now also retired, was in like a middle management role for a long time before he finally started to make the, the big ladder climbs uh, into upper management. So VP of operations, I think, is or yeah, some 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 highfalutin title is where he wrapped things up before he retired. Yeah. What I mean, what if any impact did that have on you and the choices you end up making? Like, what did your mom teach you about education as a byproduct of being a teacher? Yeah, you know, here's. Here's the tough thing about growing up in academia, and I know that you know your dad obviously uh, is a is a professor too, but I'm sure it's like kind of night and day compared to kindergarten to you know college level, right? But yeah. uh, there was a lot of pressure in my family to get an education, and in some ways, I think that that kind of grates against entrepreneurship because part of me wishes that I was starting out trying things earlier. Um, but I learned to be very risk averse from my mother. She tends to be a worrier. And um, I think that, you know, that is visible in her career choice, right? Working for you know, the, the district and having that nice, you know, secure pension and all that. So in some ways, I guess I really rebelled. And I, I think that they probably don't even fully understand what I do today. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, yeah, I, I can relate. I think most parents who are, are parents of, you know, kids who are entrepreneurs like, ah, they do something as long as they, you know, aren't begging me for money. But I think that um, it's interesting. You did rebel against that. So it makes me wonder, you know, how you overcome an environment in which you're being constantly fed this message uh, to be risk averse. And I like, I've known you long enough to know that you're the polar opposite of risk averse. <laughs> wow. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I mean, I guess here's here's my my philosophy on this. I'm willing to try something and see if it works. Where I feel like a lot of other people are they think themselves out of it before they even get to do something, right? Yeah. And I'm willing to totally roll up my sleeves and say, "Hey, I think this might be a cool idea. I'm going to give it a shot." Mm -hmm. Right? And then yeah. and make small bets. And 
I mean, I think that that's a recurring theme if you're to, I'm sure we'll get to it, right? But talk yeah, about yeah, all the different it. things. But yeah, I mean, taking small bets and seeing if they pay off, you don't mm-hmm. have to go all in and, and totally jump into the deep end to know if something's going to work or not. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that really kind of brought us back together is that you and I are sort of really like, you know, literally like put the poster children for lives that haven't gone according to plan. (laughs) Uh, That's putting it it mildly, I think. But where I want to talk about this specifically with you is, is, you know, coming out of high school, you had this incredibly, you know, really devastating accident that really I can derailed sort of where you were headed and what you had planned. Um, and you and I have talked about this, you know, kind of on and off, but never in, in a lot of detail. I mean, when you experience something like that in your life, particularly at that young an age, um, how does something like that shape your perception of what kinds of choices you're going to make about your life going forward? In other words, you know, what did you decide then about how you were going to live your life from that point forward? Man, yeah. So I guess a little backstory first. Yeah, as you mentioned, I was in a, a pretty nasty accident. It was a car accident. Uh, and I had exploratory surgery on my abdomen because although I was wearing a seat belt, I was in the back seat and it was an older car. So it was just a lap belt. So you can imagine. And you know, well, long story short, this guy hopped over the center median, ran straight headlong into us. It was over 100 mile an hour head on collision, uh, you know, both both uh, speeds combined. So there was a lot of impact right on my abdomen. Thank goodness I was in really good shape in those days. <laughs> and um, that led to a pretty, you know, tough uh, surgery and recovery and all of that. And I had hoped to go to the United States Air Force Academy and, you know, be a, a lieutenant and fly planes. And I had this, you know, romantic idea of what my pop gun like life would look like. Um, but that was just dashed. Right. Those those dreams were you know just demolished at that point. And uh, you know, I did well in school academically, um, but it really did set me into a bit of a tailspin for a while. And I didn't know how to get out of it. But, you know, you talk about how to, um, you know, how to put the pieces back together and, and how to how that shapes your life from there. I think the reality is it it teaches you that life is fleeting. Right. Because. We all, all of us, you know, I was with several friends in this car accident. All of us had to, to rally and, uh, and, and figure out how to put one foot in front of the other again. And quite, in some cases, quite literally learn to walk again. So mm-hmm. it, was, um, it, was a, it was a good experience looking back on it because it taught me a couple things. One, who my friends are. Two, that life is fleeting. And three, that, you know, it's possible to pick yourself up from the dirt and, uh, and get going again. And yeah. I think that that's something that, you know, we don't get taught in school. No, definitely not. I mean, school is all about yeah, an outcome and it's kind of, you know, you're given sort of binary outcomes, either A's or F's. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and there's no, there's no grade for resilience. I mean, do you remember in elementary school when they, they do the, uh, you know, here, here are the, the, the awards at the end of the year. And there's always the award for most improved like that, mm-hmm. that award always made me roll my eyes when I was a kid. I was like, oh, good, good for you. You didn't uh, get it the first time. Way to stick with it. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but now as an adult, I'm like, that's the award that everybody should be going for, right? Yeah. Like, that's the one that tells you what the character of a person is. So, wow. So, you know, you were so young when that happened. You know, we're both, you know, I mean, we're both like, I'm, you know, about to be 42 in two days. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're probably coming up on 40 if that's the case. That's right. Uh, and, 
I wonder over the course of your life, how your perception of that experience has changed and evolved because the way you described it now sounds to me the way somebody who was about to be 40 would describe it. And I <laughs> just, I, I wonder, is like that the way you saw it then? No, no. I mean, at the time I, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, hindsight is 2020, right? So I can look back at it now and I, I can tell you what happened or why I'm grateful for the experience. But at the time, I was devastated because I had a life plan that got totally derailed and, uh, and I didn't know what was going to come next. I wound up. So let's put it this way, man. I had over a 4.0 graduating from high school. I was, you know, very strong academically and very strong in my extracurriculars. And I should have gone to, you know, whatever college I wanted to, you know, within reason. Right. And, uh, and because I didn't have a backup plan and I didn't expect a car accident, I wound up going to community college for the first two years which was a massive blow to my overinflated ego. <laughs> I mean, you at least went to Berkeley, right? I was going to community college and it was not, it was not where I saw myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was really hard. It's like I lost my identity because all of a sudden it's like, who am I? What do I stand for? I, <laughs> I don't even know what, you know, what I'm doing anymore because, you know, flying planes was, uh, was not no longer in the cards. Yeah. Well, I want to talk more about this whole identity shift of, of being sort of this person who is the top of your class and then ending up at community college. Because I think that when we were in school, uh, you know, I think pretty unanimously, it was kind of like, Oh, you really fucked up because you ended up at community college, right? Uh, which is anything but true. I think, you know, when I, I remember by the third year at Berkeley, or I, I would see these people come in from junior colleges and they would have the highest GPAs. And they would just know how to navigate the dynamic of being in college. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, I totally botched my college experience um, because it was like all this freedom that I'd never had before. But what I wonder is, you know, I, I really appreciate that you brought up this sort of overinflated ego because, I mean, you think about it like that is the overinflated ego that our own parents instilled in us. You know, it's like you're smart. Smart people don't go to community college. They go to Berkeley or they go to the Air Force Academy. Right. Um, how do you resolve that sort of ego dissolution that happens without feeling like, oh, God, I'm such a loser? Like, how did you recover your sense of identity, I guess, is really where I'm trying to go with that. You know, it, it honestly, it took me a lot of years. It took me a long time to kind of pick up the pieces and, and start to believe that I could do stuff again, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, and if you look at my grades in community college, they reflect that. I think I had like B's when I used to be an A student. And, you know, Again, not to be, you know, not to come off as arrogant, but, you know, the reality is I could have flown through those courses if I just went to school and did my work. Like yeah. they were easier than what I was doing in high school. Right. Mm -hmm. But I just didn't I didn't know how to play the game. Um, and that's really what school comes down to. Right. It's like color within the lines, play the game, get the grade, get the diploma, get the job. Yeah. <laughs> so but I totally agree with you. I encourage my daughter today to explore community college as a viable option. But our parents are the ones who told us you know, whether consciously or otherwise, community college is for suckers. You guys don't belong there. <laughs> so we know a lot of you have been listening to us for years, and it means the world to us. What we do here at The Unmistakable Creative wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. If the podcast has been valuable to you, one of the best ways you can support us is to subscribe to Unmistakable Creative Prime, which gives you access to transcripts, all of our courses, monthly coaching calls, live chats with our guests, and an incredible community of creatives. And it costs less than you spend on a cup of coffee every month. 
For the school teachers and people in our education system, Prime is completely free to help you with this transition to teaching online. We've packed it with a ton of value and actionable content, and we hope you'll check it out. Just go to unmistakablecreative.com slash prime to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash prime. Well, our parents and our friends, I mean, our peer groups, both our peer groups, I, you know, were smart to say the least. I mean, the people yeah. in my peer group who went to Berkeley were the dumbest ones of all. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, similar for me, right? My my friends became very accomplished and and went and did amazing things and went to, to good schools, um, you know, quote unquote, good schools, right? So I was yeah. definitely the one from my peer group who was like, you know, supposed to go get his you know, supposed to have this life plan, right? And they mm-hmm. got totally derailed and it was like, oh, poor guy. He really yeah. missed the boat. So what misperceptions did, do you think that we both were raised with as a byproduct of the fact that we were taught to, you know, go there about the types of people who go to community college and, you know, what illusions did you realize that you had been kind of led to believe as a byproduct of the messages that we got? You know, it's funny you ask that because this still happens today. Like my last corporate job, the CFO that I report, you know, I, I didn't report directly to him, but he was over my boss asked me, you know, when we were getting to know each other. So where'd you go to school? And I just thought, how archaic a question is that, bro? <laughs> like, like, does it matter? I really mm. don't know that it does. Um, yeah. But, but to your point, you know, yeah, we were taught both by our parents and our peer group that, that, you know, success meant a certain path. Right. and. Yeah that that path does not allow for reinvention or pivoting or you know uh or constructive uh criticism or anything it really is just this is the line don't stay don't veer outside of this path and that's how you get it done that's how you make a name for yourself that's how you see success or find success um which i think you and i can now attest that that is absolutely bogus yeah. right um, you know, success for me has come from the mistakes that I've made, the mm-hmm. things that I've done where at the time I was just experimenting or, or I wondered like, you know, Hey, I wonder if this is possible. Let me see if I can do it. Fail five times, get it on the sixth time or 60th. And, you know, now all of a sudden there's something you can do that no one else can or can't do well or whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, we, we don't get taught that it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is that when we talk about this, um, you know, like they call some people beauty snobs. I think deep down, I think you and I still have this cognitive bias, even though you and I can have this conversation, you know, where we say this, because my roommate will, will basically joke with me about this. He's like, Oh, he's like, you basically think this person has more credibility because they're a doctor. And I was like, yeah, to be honest, I kind of do. <laughs> you know? Right. But I right. Wrote, well, you know, it, it was like, and he's like, you basically, it's like, you'll swipe right because this girl went to a good college. I was like, yeah, I probably there you will. Go. I was just, um, that's the exact analogy I was going to use. Like, yeah. I don't think I'd have ever dated my wife if I didn't, you know, my, my wife today, if, yeah. uh, if she hadn't, uh, you know, had her master's degree, you know, I'd have been like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> Which is funny, right? Cause we're literally talking about the fact that that's not entirely true or valid yet. We still have that cognitive bias so deeply embedded into us. Um, you know, this is, you know, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily expecting a correct answer to this question, but cognitive biases are so built into our world now, specifically because of the way that we consume information. Um, how do you think about that? You know, I think that, and, and, you know, thanks for giving me some leeway here, because this is definitely not going to be a perfect answer, but yeah. <laughs> I think that there are a few stages to 
releasing that cognitive bias. I think the first one is awareness, right? You have to be aware that that this is kind of your programming. And I think that's kind of the stage that you and I are at, right? Where it's like, okay, we can talk about this. We recognize it. We don't, we don't wish it for ourselves in the long term, but we also realize that there's some underlying programming in our psyche that we haven't yet overwritten, right? And then I think the more conscious of that you, you are, and over time, that gets phased out more and more, and you can improve the programming, if you will, the subconscious programming, and, uh, and minimize or hopefully entirely reduce or eliminate yeah. that, uh, you know, those instances. But you make a good point, though, because, you know, in some ways, there are where somebody went to school and how they, you know, how they performed and, you know, what someone's job is. And, you know, all of these things are indicators for us that tell us how someone, you know, how someone does in life, right? Are they someone that we would get along with? Or do we have similar interests, etc.? And I think what we need to be conscious of is that we're not always, um, you know, making decisions entirely based on those silly indicators because it's really all they are is indicators right Mm, yeah there's so much more under the surface yeah well let's talk about what happens um you know post community college because again this is anything but smooth sailing to get to where you're at um i mean i know because i've seen a lot of the bumps in the road but um i didn't you know when we reconnected after 20 years i wasn't even aware of many of the bumps that came before we reconnected Mm. yeah so after community college i went to uh university uh and really it was just the local university uc riverside because you know you and i grew up in in riverside uh california and uh and so again i was still just staying local keeping it simple and just trying to finish a degree uh, i started a degree in applied math not because i was super passionate about it but because it was a st- subject i was very strong in and then i got married and we were expecting a child. So this is, you know, all something that kind of just happened without being planned and now found myself in that reality. So I dropped out of college to take care of our daughter. And uh, then shortly thereafter, and this is the abridged version, <laughs> shortly thereafter, um, my wife at the time and I separated. And uh, she had type 1 diabetes, and I was trying to help minimize the uh, damage that she was doing just by poorly tracking that disease while we were together. But when I stopped, when we separated, uh, unfortunately, she no longer managed that disease very well on her own, and she passed away. So this happened in 2006. So my daughter at the time was not yet three years old. And basically became a full-time dad. Mm. And so I decided then and there, I was, uh, for a living, I was bartending at, uh, you know, a a bar uh, called the Yard House, if if you're familiar with it. I know you are. Um, And, you know, making a decent living. But I just had this reality check of like, hey, you're not going to be in your 20s forever. It's time to figure something out. Uh, You know, this is not a long-term plan and how are you going to ever you know really provide for your kid with uh with this career choice Mm. so i went back to school um because my degree in math was close to being done i knocked it out in a year and a half 
and then went into an MBA program because I was really excited about entrepreneurship. So I rolled straight into that, working full time uh, as well, you know, to keep keep the lights on. Uh, and I received a lot of support from my family, which was really helpful. And I uh, was able to bust through that MBA program and uh, and do really well from there. So yeah. following that, I, I picked up a degree in entrepreneurship and finance. Uh, so I, I think there are numerous things about this experience that are fascinating because I think it again takes us into sort of that ego dissolution because I think that you and I both given our backgrounds, given the value we placed on education, given what we believed was a life plan, would be incredibly judgmental about a person who ended up in the situation that you did if it didn't happen to us. Mm -hmm. You'd think, how in the world did you get a a woman pregnant and have a child when you're basically still a child yourself? Oh, Um, yeah. I would have judged the heck out of me. (laughs) Yeah. Until it happened to you. Uh, which is, which is, is fascinating in itself. So I want to hear, you know, what your thoughts are on that. But this is something I remember asking you and I knew I wanted to ask you about it here on air because I figured I'd get a much deeper answer to it. Um, I remember calling you one day and I don't know why we were talking about this, but I, I said, you know, isn't that like the ultimate mind fuck to, you know, have this person who clearly things are not going well with you in the middle of a separation. Um, you obviously don't have great feelings toward them, but not such horrible feelings towards them that you want them to die. And then that happens, particularly the mother of your child. I mean, yeah. that is sort of like a, a clusterfuck of emotions because on the one hand, you obviously were separating. On the other, this is the mother of your child that just died. It was the strangest, like looking back, the strangest emotional you know, web to, to, uh, go through. I, I don't even, I can just like list off just, I, I feel like a half dozen emotions at once. Right. I mean, yeah. I was angry. I was heartbroken. I was, uh, confused. <laughs> and then I was sitting there going, you know, blaming myself. Like, is this my fault? Um, you know, I could have done something, you know, I should have done something. I shouldn't have ever left. I should have, you know, all these things that, it's so it's so hard to go back in in hindsight and start saying, you know, this is what I should have done. This is what I shouldn't have done. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was an absolute mess, man. And and for a long time, I was just, you know, I didn't know how to compute. In fact, I had I had a, a friend tell me, you know, ten years later, he said, "Oh yeah, we pretty much all put bets on you to, uh, you know, in terms of when you were going to break down." <laughs> mm. But you know, you kind of just picked yourself up and kept going one step at a time. And again, here's the thing, and this is hindsight speaking, but I think that that car accident that I had that you already mentioned in high school, I think that that was vital for my getting through this. Because if I hadn't have learned about resiliency back when I was 17, I would have been a mess when I was 25 and faced with it. What were you most scared of, um, knowing that you were going to be a single father with, you know, I mean, if you're a single father with a five or six year old at that point, you know, she's able to talk at least and, you know, communicate, I mean, you're effectively dealing with diapers. Yeah, I was, um, I was it, the thing I was most afraid of honestly was financially providing for her because, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when, when you're single and you know, a risk taker, (laughs) you know, it's fine to say, Hey, I'm happy to live in this studio while I try my SaaS company out. Right. Or or I'm, I'm fine, you know, sleeping in a bunk bed and sharing that, you know, as a 25 year old male, 
you know, with, uh, with my roommates or whatever. And, you know, there are comforts that we are willing to deny ourselves so that we can try things out. Right. And when you're a father or a mother, and especially when you're the only parent, suddenly, you know, your reality changes and it's like, I have to, I have to provide. And, and it's not just the financial, but it's also the emotional, right? You have to be there. You have to spend time with your child. And it's like, how in the world can you get all of that done and still grow your, your life or build your life in, in the way that you foresaw before these circumstances? Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hmm. It's a wild thing. Yeah. So th- there are several things I wonder about this. I mean, you know, we've had conversations kind of on and off about you know, your relationship with your daughter. Uh, <clears throat> 
you know, in addition to sort of wondering how you're going to provide financial, and this might be a weird question, which you may not have an answer to. I just want to hear kind of, you know, your theory on it. What do you think the difference is between being a single mother in that situation and being a single father in that situation? Um, particularly because you have a daughter and there's so many things that, you know, only a daughter, a mother could really address. The other part of this, and, you know, again, this is one of those questions, if it feels too weird to answer, you're free to, to say edit, but, um, <laughs> What do you think the, the the impact of not having her mother in her life, um, you know, so early has been uh, on your relationship with your daughter? You know, it's it's those are great questions. Uh, I think that I'm actually lucky that I had a daughter and not a son, because I think that the bond between daughter and father is a different relationship than son and father. So. You know, I can really, I, I know all right? too well. <laughs> I'm thinking like, I know how your sister and your dad are. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think I was very lucky in that regard uh, because it's a different bond. I think were I female, it would have been the other way around, right? It would have been easier for me to have a son if I were yeah. a single parent. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of, of what I think about, you know, the way that society views that, I think as a single father, I was given a lot more leeway from society than a single mother is. Because wow. assumptions are made when there's a single mother that says, you know, oh, you know, she was seeing a guy who wasn't, you know, a good guy. And, you know, he, he left her and the baby. And, uh, you know, there are certain uh, stigmas, right, that are associated with that. Yeah. But when you see a single dad, I think people go, hmm? And, like, what, what led to these scenarios <laughs> or this scenario? And I also think that, um, you know, from a dating perspective, I think women are much more likely to date a single dad than guys are likely to date a single mom. I don't know. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you. That was going to be my next question. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been on dates with single moms, but I can honestly tell you that as somebody who wants to have kids of my own, that was kind of always, I, I realized I was like, oh, I, I need to be honest with you that I'm, you know, I can't see this going anywhere serious. Like, I don't want to lead this person on. And I had to be very mm -hmm. clear about that. Um, but I, I, that was going to be my next question uh, was, you know, I mean, until you met Sarah, like, how did this affect your relationships and your dating life? Yeah. Um, I mean, not terribly much, to be honest with you. I think a lot of women see that as endearing and responsible. And it, uh, it made me grow up in ways that, that positively impacted me and my personality. So yeah. it was, it was all relatively positive. Keep in mind, by the way, at this time I'm still bartending. So, you know, there wasn't how to, how to phrase this. <laughs> there wasn't exactly a shortage of options at the time. Right. So, wow. Well, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's, let's shift gears a little bit because I think you and I reconnected, um, after what, 20 plus years. And it was the most random thing. Um, why do you think that uh, the bond between you and I has sustained? Like, what do you think that led to that? Because I mean, I mean, it got to the point where I was the best man at your wedding, you know. And yep. at this point in my life, I would say you're my best friend. Yeah. No. And likewise. Um, so for me, it's we're both willing to color outside the lines, and I find that that's such a difficult trait to find, especially now that we're adults. Mm -hmm. You know, like how many of your previous friends, like, you know, thinking back to, you know, when we met, right, you're talking about everybody who went off to these great colleges, whatever, they have doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on this philosophy that I that you need to keep your head down and do as you're told and follow the path. And it's worked no. for them, right? 
So they probably look at you and I, and I'm making sweeping assumptions now, but I would suspect they're going to look at you and I the same way that you and I in high school would have looked at the teen pregnancy mom and judged, right? They probably look at us and go, these guys are crazy. What are they doing? (laughs) Yeah, I was living at my parents' house when we were met. Yeah, but, but, you know, and that's the thing, right? Like, I got the crap kicked out of me by life, man, and so did you. And so there's camaraderie in that. But Mm -hmm. the thing that you and I both did, or or rather did not do, is give up, right? Yeah. And I feel like, you know, sure, we could have made a ton of choices and just, you know, stopped, stopped trying or just, you know, accepted whatever cards, uh, you know, we were dealt, but we didn't do that. Neither of us did. So that's what I think is like, honestly, the core of our friendship. It's funny because I think that that is the beginning. And to me, the core of what this is, is the fact that you are the one friend who no matter what is going on in your life, you pick up the phone when I call, you make time. Um, and I think that I value that so much in people because I think it's so rare. I mean, you and I were having this conversation. I said, you know, part of the reason I ended up moving to Colorado was because you were here. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember at the beginning of 2019, I was like texting you pictures of all these amazing places and you texted back saying, great, when are you moving? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because, you know, you, you'd started snowboarding so much in the last couple of years. I think yeah. you were, you were seeing each other more when, yeah. you know, here in Colorado than we were when we were both living in Southern California. <laughs> Something about living in California. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah, I mean, to me that that's one of those things, but the thing that I, I wonder, right, is you have an infant and I, I still remember like we call you the day after, you know, we're out partying all night and we're like, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, can we come over for lunch? <laughs> and there are a lot of people who will use that as an excuse. And somehow, even despite having an infant in, in tow, you somehow are managing to continually make time for us, which to me, that is one of the biggest differences I've seen between you and a lot of other people when it comes to how you've maintained our friendship. Why do you think that is like, why, what is it about you that makes you that way? And why aren't more people that way? I don't know, man. I wish I had a good answer for that. The reality is I think, I think that when you've gone through some of the harrowing experiences that I've had in my, you know, young adult life, I, I think that you develop a perspective that time is fleeting, right? And yeah. it's so cliched to say things like, we're not promised tomorrow and all of these silly things. But hey, at the end of the day, there's there's reasons that those, those sayings exist. Because, yeah. you know, look, I mean, when you call, sometimes I'm in the middle of it and I can't pick up, but I do try to call back, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> um and, uh, and sometimes being in the middle of it is just like, Hey, I'm about to, you know, slay on a video game. I'm going to have to hit you in 30 minutes. Right. <laughs> but other times it's actual work or something important going on. Um, yeah. but you know, it's just, a there aren't that many people in my life that I, that I really make an effort for because I don't think, I don't think as many people have the same relationship that you and yeah. I have. Right. Well, I think that part of it is it's reciprocal, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we will always make time for each other. And I think that this is something because I, I just interviewed a woman who wrote a book about the science of friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was talking to her about this and she said, you know, proximity matters. She said, but also the frequency, frequency with which you contact each other matters. And I mean, you and I, you know, even if we don't talk every day, we're text at least every other day and we're speaking at least once a week, if not more often. Um, yeah, normally definitely. we were seeing each other quite frequently, but thanks to this craziness, um, we're not, uh, before we get into your business, I want to talk about the fact that you're a father for the second time, uh, because I think it's <laughs> fascinating that you've had this experience before, 
um, you know, with an infant and you had to do it by yourself. And now you're getting to do it with a wife um, in a very different life circumstance. We'll talk about a life circumstance separately. Um, how is it different this time around? Like what parts of this are you just like, holy shit, I have no idea what I'm doing. And what parts of it are you like, I'm a rock star. I know how to do this. Hmm. So yeah, I have a six month old. She's actually six months today. And, uh, it is a very different upbringing for the second time around because my eldest is now 15. So you can imagine what you've seen firsthand. I said, yeah, I remember the revenge, what you joked about. This is like God's way of taking advantage on you for what a, you know, taking revenge on you for what a jackass you were. Three women all in different stages of their lives. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, it's, it's my, uh, my penance right now. Um, yeah. so, you know, but Hey, being a father is amazing. Um, being a father of an infant is very trying. Um, because they're just, there's such a, a need for constant attention, right? Mm. Um, as your children grow, or at least this was how it is for my first, she, and I imagine most people experience this, they, they become more independent, right? So, you know, now she's in high school, my eldest, and she like, she doesn't even want to hug, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so you one with a constant need for attention. And the other is like, leave me the hell alone. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's, I guess the, the funny, or I wouldn't say funny. The sad part is I look at my little one now and I realize that one day she's going to be the exact same as her big sister and, uh -huh. you know, 15 years from now. And it's like, in some ways it does inspire me to savor the moments where she cuddles up with me and then spits up all over my shirt. <laughs> Which I think she did that to one of my shirts too. So, oh wow! If she didn't, then you're not part of the family, man. No, I, I think like, that that happened pretty much the first, second time I saw her. So, yeah, that's that's her signature move right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, so one thing I wonder as a parent, I think every one of us deep down, and see, this is one thing you know, somebody who hasn't had children yet, but clearly likes them based on all the pictures I've taken with your daughter. And pretty much any other baby I've held. Like I remember even at my birth last birthday, King was like, dude, you're a natural at this. We just need to get you a makeshift family. Right. Uh, but you know, like I, I imagine at some point I'm going to have kids. And one of the things I think every one of us who has our parents says to ourselves is I'm not going to do that because that was a disaster and you did that wrong. Have you mm. found yourself doing things you swore you'd never thought you'd do? or saying things you never thought you'd say to your either one of you. I mean, particularly with a teenager, probably it's more relevant because she's capable of like having these kinds of arguments with you. Yeah. There, I mean, there are definitely things, especially as you say, the teenager, um, you know, she likes to push buttons and like All just the other day, I, of course. I mean, I sure did. <laughs> I still yeah. do. So, <laughs> um, but you know, she, she's always pushing boundaries as, and I realize it's a teenager thing, but she's the hard part is, you know, my mom had a, had a very much like an iron fist, like, because I'm the parent, that's why was kind of like the philosophy. And I try very hard to always have a reason for why things are like, why do we have this rule? Why? Because, you know, uh, why do we wash our hands five times? Because, uh, you know, that's what COVID-19 says to do or whatever. Right. Um, there are there are rules for a reason in our household and they don't always get followed and it does get frustrating and there is always that there's always that part of me that just wants to put my foot down and be like I'm the dad do the thing 
right? I don't want to have a conversation about why, just do the thing. But uh, I, I try my best not to get that way. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I try my best. Yeah. I was going to laugh when you're like, yeah, she has a tendency to push boundaries. And I was like, well, I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of the whole point uh, of why we're, you know, friends in some ways, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, speaking of which, let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's uh, let's get into um, you know sort of the business side of this because I think that to me the fascinating thing is that yours really is a story of resilience of an unwillingness to ever give up to get to the point where you are at and to actually do things that I always thought were far below your intelligence even um, <laughs> to get there. Because uh, I remember when I met you, I was like, okay, cool, like interesting. Um, all I knew was that you were smart. So that to me was, that was the one reason I never doubted it. I didn't, I questioned the, the ideas, but I never mm. questioned your commitment and you as a person. But let, let's start there. Like, what were you up to when we first met? Oh, man, it's shameful, but I'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's shameful. Um, so in hindsight, I wish I never got involved in this industry. Um, so let me just preface with that. But um, I was involved in making. Stay tuned for more in part two of this episode with Gareth. Please feel free to check out our YouTube channel, YouTube slash C slash Gareth Pronovost, or go directly to our website, GarethPronovost.com, where uh, we have all of our stuff up there. You can learn more about Airtable and automation and streamlining your own business and life. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Milena, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes just like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.